Hey everyone, welcome back to Stroller Coaster, the podcast that takes you on the wild ride of parenting created by Munchkin. We love hearing from you all, so please leave a review and share with your friends. It helps us grow. This is exciting, isn't it, Justin? It is exciting. I feel like yes. it's looking nostalgic already. I know. We've got we've graduated to to a very special episode here at the end of season 1. I, it came up so fast. I I know. <laughs> the show was just so little, just a blink of an eye ago. Um exactly. and we wanted to take a look back at some of our favorite segments we've done so far and just kind of talk about some of the things we've learned in our time on Stroller Coaster. And, you know, it reminds me of when I met Mr. McFeely from mm. Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. I met, I met the man himself. I was doing a story on Mr. Rogers. And after sort of studying Fred Rogers' philosophy and, and how deliberate and kind and gentle he was with children, I said to Mr. McFeely, I wish I could start over. I feel like I've already <laughs> messed everything up, right? And he said to me, Parents used to say that all the time to Fred. And Mr. Rogers would put his hand on their shoulders and say, that's all right, my friend. You're just learning, too. Parents uh. are just learning, too. And that's kind of how I felt this whole season. We keep getting the messages that it's a constant learning process for us, just as much as it is for our kids. Yeah, it really changes up sort of the dynamic that I feel like, at least I stepped into parenting being like, okay, I'm in charge. I have to work this out and make all these decisions. And hearing that and, and hearing everything we've heard on this podcast, like, it really is just like a communication and like you're all, you and your kids are all sort of figuring it out together and it makes yeah. it much more manageable. And also you give so much more power to, to the, your children to help guide you a little bit as well. I always say that I'm a slightly different parent to each kid because right. my kids are different and they need slightly different things from me, you know? So our kids teach us how to be parents. Yeah. We're just a bunch, we're Swiss army knives and you know, different <laughs> tasks require the spoon and different tasks require the little scissors that you can't really use to cut anything. Yeah, I never understood those or that weird kind of, am I really supposed to file my nails with this one? I'm not sure yeah. what that one's for. I feel like some of those things, they were like, well, I'll just throw it in there. It's a Swiss Army knife. <laughs> and make it a keychain. <laughs> yeah. All right, so let's get into it, shall we? Yes, let's. So first up, um, let's jump all the way back to episode two, which was our deep dive into screen time. Mm -hmm. uh, we got to meet Melanie Hempy, the founder of the Screen Strong organization. Who, who put the fear of God in me. <laughs> yes, she. we were both walked out of that one with our eyes much wider, if I remember correctly. Um, she told us a story about her son's addiction to video games. And here's a section where she talks about some of the science behind her work. What I didn't understand um, earlier that I was learning was that there is a chemical phenomena going on in a kid's brain when they're playing video games or when they're on a smartphone. It happens to adults too, but because young brains are, are so malleable and because they're so immature, it's much more severe. And what it is, it's this, um, um, this chemical that is released, you know, the dopamine, all of the brain, the neurochemicals are released in the mid part of the brain, the limbic area of the brain. But the problem is because of their age and because of the nature of games today, because we're not, kids are not playing games like you and I played growing up. They're not playing Pac-Man. These are very in, interactive, immersive games that really trigger the limbic area in their, in their brains. And the fight flight systems get 
stimulated and the brain thinks that we're in a battle. We're trying to save our, our life. I understand it very well now, you know, just from the medical um, aspect and from all the science, but I did not understand it then. And that's why we started Screen Strong so we can educate parents on the science and then let them make these decisions for their own family. This is the biggest parenting struggle in our country. It is going to affect this generation like you have no idea. And so every day I wake up, I'm like, I got to get this message out there. I'm not worried about convincing everybody in the world. You know, if you don't agree with me, I don't really care. I want to feed the people that come to the table. I want to feed the parent that calls me to say, I think we're lost. I think it's too late. I want to say, no, it's not too late. I don't know about you, but I am terrified by the words, this is the biggest parenting struggle in our country. Yeah, especially like... I mean, a lot of people, it's her issue, so of course she's going to say that, and she's in it. Um, but it but does I, I feel that her. way. Me too. I do believe her, and it is stressful. And we're at the uh, the age of our children are, they're on the younger side. They haven't even gotten to the social media side of it. Oh my gosh, I know. I always think, and so my kids are a little older than yours. They're, they're yes. now seven and nine. And I know that most of their friends have their own iPads and play games that I don't really, like I think they're called Roblox or there's some mm. Minecraft. I don't know what that stuff is. I don't want to know yet. But I, I feel like our children, younger children are in a kind of Garden of Eden, right? Mm, and, yeah. and we all know whatever parenting choices we make regarding screens, we know that they're coming. Like they're yeah. out there and, and we will each as a family, as parents, have to make our own decisions and all of it is complicated. It is complicated because there's that little bit of it where it's necessary. Like screen, like we use screens all day. Like um, that's for the problem. Our we can't. Right. We can't be role models by going cold turkey as parents. Yeah. Well, and it's not like like it's like, hey, if you're in the street, hold my hand. Like it's like the hard and fast rule, like or what any sort of thing where you can like, here's the situation with crossing the street or any other parenting challenge. With this, it's like, well, you can use the screen sometimes if it's a school thing. But when you get home, yes, you can use it a little bit to watch this, but not too much. It, it, it's such a gray area and it makes it so much harder to just have uh, have standards and know that you're doing the right thing. But it's interesting to hear from Melanie that there is a legitimate choice that it seems like almost no parents make, which is to say no, like not at all, no iPhone. Yeah, and I do think despite her example, I would will have a hard time being like hard no on it because mm -hmm. I, the hypocrisy of me having it and using it a lot um, is like, well, you can't have it, but I have to have this for work all the time. Not that I'm using it all the time, but it's in, it's in my pocket. <laughs> All right, let's jump over to episode three, where we heard from Catherine Watts-Reed, a Canadian writer and editor and mother of three, who introduced us to the concept of the mental load. Here's a clip. <laughs> it's a mental load. So I would compare it to having like 100 tabs open on your browser, um, all of which feel like they need your immediate attention. And we tend to carry as moms these essential bits of information or non-essential. Um, and at any given moment, we're thinking, oh, I need to book swimming lessons. Um, I have to make sure my six-year-old's pants are clean or he won't wear pants tomorrow because he only likes those pants. And, uh, you know, here's how to blow a foreign object out of your child's nose. Do you have personal experience with that? I sure do. Yeah. So um, the other night I, I made dinner for my three kids and I, um, you know, I set them at the table and I just quickly went to switch the laundry over. 
uh, in the basement. And then I heard my four-year-old scream and he has a good scream. Like he, he'll scream like that whether he is hurt or just can't find his sock. So I didn't rush up or anything, but when I got there, uh, he had actually shoved a pee so far up his nose <gasps> that it was lodged in there. And, um, oh. And I remembered a tip I'd read or heard somewhere and it just decided to stick around in my brain, I guess. And it was that you should never like dig in there to uh, try to get something out, right? Because you'll just shove right. it further up. So <laughs> I had read that you're supposed to cover their mouth with your mouth and just blow as hard as you can. What? Yeah. That makes so much sense. And It and does. I, yeah. A, I've never heard that. And B... It's amazing you retain that. I will never forget it. Now I hope my kid shoves a pee up his nose. Yeah, and you can use it. Or Lego, you know, you can use it with anything. Mental load. It's just, mm. it just, just the word load is yeah. so it's loaded. Heavy. It's heavy. It is. It is. And I feel like more and more people are talking about mental loads. I mean, there's different ways to refer to it, right? It's, I've heard emotional labor. And yes. then recently I've heard people talking about invisible work. Invisible right. work, right? All the all the stuff you're doing in your head. Uh, my, We just recently threw a birthday party for my daughter turned five. Ooh, and congratulations, you got that over with. It was, and I'll tell you what, it was a lot. But <laughs> uh, it was that mental load just creeping up. All right, how about we fast forward to episode five where we focused on learning. Uh, our parenting story of the day that week was about Rob Kenny, the creator of the viral YouTube channel, Dad, How Do I? Such a nice guy. Here he is explaining the concept behind the channel and his message. You know, they call it a midlife crisis for a reason. And I had thought of this, my YouTube channel, um, uh, you know, and I thought of the name, Dad, How Do I? Because I pictured one of my kids in the other room saying, Dad, how do I? And it's practical dad advice for everyday tasks. So I'm trying to help people learn how to do many things. And it, when um, I first started, I started with how to tie a tie and how to shave. And then I did um, some videos on car stuff, how to change your tire. Um, one thing that has been very, um, very thankful for, because when my daughter was encouraging me to do it, I said, you know, there's so much more to being a dad than just knowing how to do things around the house. I wanted to be able to share my heart with people, share some wisdom as well. And I also said, I'm proud of you um, because people don't hear that, um, which saddens me. Uh, you know, so many comments, if you come to my channel, you'll see the comments are full of people that have this void in their life where they haven't heard, I'm proud of you or I love you. I'm pretty blessed to have the platform that I have to be able to give back what I didn't have. I mean, talk about Mr. Roger's spirit. Yes. This man, just hearing his voice makes me feel happy and loved and seen. He has this earnestness that is like, you can't argue with it. It's not like he's putting this on to to go viral or whatever. Like, no. I feel like there's so many people who are like, I'm going to go viral by being this way. He's clearly just a guy who turned on his computer one day, turned started talking to his camera, and it just hit. Something about it just took off like crazy. And, and what it is about it is is what he identifies, which is that people want to know someone's watching them and saying, hey, you're doing a good job, you know? 
Yeah. Or you're trying. <laughs> you're trying. And here's a simple thing that let me help you do this simple thing. Like tie a tie, like change a tire, like little bits and well, pieces that are that you could learn anywhere, but have this nice man tell them to you and then be like, you're doing a good job. It's very Mr. Rogers. I wish I knew how to tie a tie because someday my son or maybe my daughter is going to ask me, can you do this tie? And I'll be like, no, like if your dad's not here, I don't know whom to turn to. I feel like now I see more women wearing ties than men. So I think ties, the gender split of ties is over. We, we just determined it here. Yeah, big statement. It's over. <laughs> it's <laughs> over. Coaster says. <laughs> Let's stick right here in our learning episode and hear another of our favorite segments. Um, Faith, this was your interview with Lynn Houston, a teacher mm. at a one-room schoolhouse in Duckwater, Nevada. Uh, she's been a teacher at this school for 30 years, and we talked to her on her very last day before retirement. God Dude, which bless we didn't that know. woman. Yeah, we didn't even know. And she was taking time out of her last day to talk to us. Um, here she is walking us through her average day. I feel like it's walking a tightrope a lot of the time. There are so many time pressures. And everything that happens in any other school happens here. And I think that the way we've adapted to that is having, being very prepared, having a lot of structure, but also having flexibility that sometimes things don't go how you plan. Sometimes this kid needs extra time. Sometimes tomorrow we're going to do it again because it just didn't work out. That's exactly like being a parent, right? It is. It is exactly like that. You know, Lynn, through the pandemic, I think most parents in our country get a little taste of feeling like they were running a one-room schoolhouse. You have sometimes 20 kids at a time. What is that like? So sometimes it is chaotic. We try to limit chaos. You know, we try to have structure. I have talked to parents, all the parents, that we did home-based, you know, through the computer, video conferencing sorts of classes. And what I repeatedly told them is, I see you. Hang in there. I know you have all of these pressures. I know you still have to go to work, or at least one of you does, or both of you do, and you've got to, like, sort of switch off. And every teacher I talk to says the same thing. We see you. We know the pressures you're under. I have always cherished teachers and their roles in our children's lives, but never, I think I speak for a lot of parents, never more than in the past year of all of ours, all of our lives. The incredible patience that it takes to be a teacher. Yeah, and the way that um, because of uh, because of the pandemic, we were asking our teachers to not only do their normal stuff, but also then be on uh, Zoom all day and manage children in you know nine different air, nine kids in nine different boxes. Yeah, be balancing what all kids need at all different times. I don't know about you. I think one of the big lessons for me, parenting during one of my children was at school in person, one of my children was home, was just the constantly triaging what's important. And every time my daughter, you know, six years old, came to me and wanted me, whether it was to help plug in the iPad or just to, because she wanted to step away from language arts and give me a hug, um, which is very sweet, but not when you're in the middle of a, of a business call, right? Well, no, yeah. it is very sweet even when you're in the middle of a business call. Right. But there was, there was just a constant thinking in my brain, what's really important right now? What's really important right now? And almost every single time, what was most important was that I was present for my kid and she felt supported. Yeah. And, and it is that, that juggling act where you constantly have to be holding these, you know, put, keeping these three balls in the air and then being like, oh, wait, that's the one. That's the one I can't drop right now. I can yeah. drop this one. 
That one will bounce. This one's an egg. I have to catch that one for sure. It's a very good analogy. Let's keep it going in here from a dad who's out there bringing information to the people. His name is Josh Levs. He's a former CNN and NPR reporter and has been described as the top global expert on modern dads at work. That's that's quite a title. Um, and naturally, he was in our work-life balance episode, episode six. Here he is breaking some dad stereotypes. So I started looking into the legitimate data on parenthood. And this is when I found that the average working father spends three hours each workday caring for his children. Virtually all dads who live with their kids care for them in every major category at least several days a week, if not every day. The majority of black fathers live with their children and are on average the most involved. So What? Yep. That is so important. Yeah. And, and it's the first time I've heard any of these statistics. Uh, um, this is my life. I, th- I tell people this, and it's always the first time they've heard it. Totally. The number one thing we can do is end these negative stereotypes about men and women. And we do that by normalizing the fact that human beings are capable of being caring. Most human beings are caring. And that uh, men are a part of that. Uh, The more we talk about it with each other, the more we acknowledge it, the more we support these conversations in every environment we ever enter into, the more we reject that madman thinking of the past. Munchkin actually posted a quote from Josh Levs on their Instagram. The quote is... I know. Yeah. I saw that. And I like it's it's a good quote because um, it's, it's talking about the stats that we were referencing. Um, the average working father spends three hours each workday caring for his children. And which, by the way, is that true for you? Uh, yes. Um, At least, right? When you add up like uh, waking up in the morning, uh, taking them to school, and then at, at the end of the day, of course, like I usually right. make dinner. Like I think, I think that is... And again, it's the average working father. So like, you know, some days are smaller, some days are larger. But this is a stat that Josh researched. He's data guy. He's data guy. (laughs) It's like you can't argue with the numbers. But I think some people want to argue with the numbers. Yeah. And I do think there's, you know, certain, depending on your career or what you're doing for work, there's there's definitely like different levels of it's easier or privilege, whatever you want to call it. But um, I do think that uh, that just hearing this, the fact that it is uh, mouth dropping, um, if that's the right term, is like it's. That's the beginning. That's the beginning. That's what we need. To oh, be and hearing. you and and someone whose name is uh, Subwade sixty six um, says amazing statistic for exclamation points eye opening. Right. So yeah. I think that's the point. This is a fact. These are statistics, and the fact that it is eye opening and jaw dropping. A, it shouldn't be, and B, let's continue to talk about it. And maybe, like, the more fathers who see that statistic who aren't putting in that much time will be like, I got to get – maybe we can instill some, like, healthy male competition. <laughs> uh, that's the way to frame it. Like, wait, what are we doing? Spending time with our kids? Yeah. <laughs> Okay, let's give a listen to Joanna Faber and Julie King from episode seven, which is all about listening. Uh, Joanna and Julie what? are the. Uh, see that? Sorry. I feel like you need to re-listen to this episode, Faith, because <laughs> you're not listening. You're just not. I'm listening. here. I'm here. Yeah. Uh, Joanna and Julie are the authors of "How to Talk So Little Kids Will Listen: A Survival Guide to Life with Children Ages Two to Seven." Great book. They had a ton of advice on how to enhance the communication between kids and parents. Um, here's a clip that gets into why listening is so important. Why is listening and communication so important? I think um, 
you know, as you know, when we're parents of uh, young kids, especially, we tend to get caught up in the details of managing our kids, you know, moment by moment, because there's so many things we have to get them to do and so many things we have to get them to stop doing. Um, <laughs> so, you know, it helps sometimes to remind ourselves to step back from our managerial roles and reconnect with our kids as human beings. Because, you know, ask yourself, you know, how would you react if every time you saw me coming, you knew I was going to try to make you do something you didn't want to do? You'd flee at the sound of my voice. So it turns out if we spend a little more time listening and connecting with our kids, it actually makes them feel more cooperative and it makes everything that flows from that easier. And I think the kind of listening and, and communicating that you all write about, Julie and Joanna, is the it's I, it's almost like um it's almost like an investment that pays off and and when we're as parents like you said Joanna we're we're just trying to get to the next thing especially with little kids there's so much you have to do for them and there's so much you don't want them to do and you're sort of like okay let's do this let's move this along I don't have time to stop and have this conversation with you and yet if you don't make the time to stop and have that conversation you're gonna pay for it later right there's gonna be meltdowns there's gonna be resistance. Yeah, it turns out sometimes, sometimes the longer way is actually the shorter way. You know, we want to jump right to it and say, you know, get your coat on now, hurry up. You know, by wrapping out orders, we encounter resistance. You know, nobody likes to be ordered around and nobody likes to be pushed around. And, and so if we can find some other ways to communicate, it makes everything, it makes everything easier and everything smoother. So you know, we think we don't have the time, but, you know, well, like, as you say, you said it well, a little, a little investment up front, you know, helps us save time in the end and more importantly, feel better about each other. It makes a better, it makes a better atmosphere. I really, I mean, I think it goes without saying for both of us, we love being playful. And that part of Joanna and Julie's kind of prescription really resonated with me because Gosh, gosh, it can get old when you're getting into it with your kids. And if you make, if you find it within yourself to be playful, it makes it easier for you too. I think that is what I took away mostly from their interview. Like just being playful is like you said earlier, it's like a hack. Like you're- It's a game changer. And you know, I think being playful and silly comes to me a little more quickly than it comes to my husband. And I have seen my husband grow as a parent when he employs this. Like I can actually watch my husband have a moment where he decides, am I gonna be angry and bring down the hammer or am I gonna be silly? And more and more I see him choose silly and, and it changes everything. Well, it's sort of like we talked about earlier where like that's the thing about parenting is you hear, hearing these little things and it makes you, it just catches in your brain where you're like, I could do this, I could be mad, well, I could do this thing, which is actually easier for everyone. It makes everything... In the long run, yeah. right. And, that's and yes, it involves turning my child upside down and telling my child she is a vacuum cleaner, but that is why we do push-ups. Yeah. <laughs> and that's it. Those, those are just some of our favorite clips from this season. 
Justin, it kind of feels like we're wrapping things up with a best of, but we're not, but we're really, not. because I am, I am very excited about next week's episode. Uh, me too. Um, it's a mailbag episode. We're going to be answering your questions, uh, your comments, um, and we're also going to uh, confess. Oh, we're I love Offer this. our own parenting Own confession. parenting confessions. Yes, we've heard yours all seasons, so we're coming with ours. It's our turn. And that's the show. Thank you for taking the ride with us. And thanks to all of our amazing guests this season. If you want more information about any of our guests, check out strollercoaster.com. Thank you to Munchkin for helping us put this together. No wonder they're the most loved baby brand in the world. You can buy all of your Munchkin products at Target. At Stroller Coaster, we're all about community. If you have a parenting confession story you'd like to share, a question, a topic you want to hear more about, don't hesitate to reach out to us at podcast at munchkin.com. And please do us a favor and spread the word. The more people who listen, the more people who love it, the more Stroller Coaster we get to do. Oh, and just a reminder to check out our other podcast right here in this feed. It's called Stroller Coaster Storytime. It's our storytelling podcast for parents and children to enjoy together. It's a short, fun, and creative take on children's stories performed by improv actors and directed by a nine-year-old kid. It's our other podcast, but we love them both the same. Exactly. It's our middle child podcast. <laughs> it's going to grow up and have issues. And now, something every parent can use, a timeout for you. Munchkin passionately supports many causes that help care for our planet, and today, we want to leave you with the simple sound of wind blowing through the trees. Enjoy, and see you next time on Stroller Coaster. <laughs>